0: Jonathan travels around the globe visiting warriors for God's kingdom. For instance, he met a pastor in Burma. That pastor had come to know Jesus in a very deep way through suffering for his faith.
1: I remember an old pastor who asked me if I'd ever been in prison for the gospel. You know, and this was 15 years ago, and I'm like, "Uh, no, I, I live in you know, America. And he said, he looked at me with a a smile on his face. He said, oh, brother, you don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. There wasn't a a trace of arrogance or anything. It was a genuine heartfelt, brother, I've walked with God in places that you can't imagine. And God was faithful in the midst of that. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and uh, we're going to talk today, uh, kind of a look ahead at 2017 for Voice of the Martyrs International Work, what we're doing in the 60 plus countries where Christians are persecuted. Our guest today is the Vice President for International Ministries at Voice of the Martyrs. He's another one of our guests that we only use one name because he travels to many of those 60 countries. So, Brother Jonathan, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thanks, Todd. It's great to be with you this morning.
0: Jonathan has been serving at Voice of the Martyrs for six years. Some of you may remember we shared a message that Jonathan spoke in our chapel service here at Voice of the Martyrs called the Gospel Wildfire. If you didn't listen to that episode, I encourage you, go back and search for that Gospel Wildfire. Uh, It will encourage you about what God is doing around the world. Jonathan, I want to start out—you know, we we want to talk about 2017, but I want to start out looking backwards because— there were some very significant things that happened in our international work last year, and one of them involved personnel. You're the vice president for international ministries. At the start of 2016, you weren't. Uh, there was a guy named Mark who was. Mark died of cancer last year. That's something we haven't really talked about here on VOM Radio, but just talk a little bit about that transition and, and maybe some of the things you learned from him or remember about him that you're now sort of taking into your job every day as you kind of try to fill his shoes. Sure.
1: Mark was an amazing, just an amazing guy, a great leader. The thing that really stood out about Mark as you worked with him and knew him was he had this gentle, quiet spirit. And whatever situation we were involved in, there was always a calm that Mark brought to that situation. And that's something I've tried to, to take from. I have a completely different personality. I'm a uh, I'm maybe the center of chaos from time to time, <laughs> uh, but really trying to learn from Mark uh, and remembering Mark as that, that quiet, strong leader who, who really helped us navigate some difficult waters. It was very difficult losing Mark uh, in May of last year, and it's something really that we're just now kind of transitioning through and really feeling like we've kind of dealt with that and we're moving forward. But yeah, we miss him every day.
0: One of the things about Mark, at the start of his missionary journey or his gospel service journey, uh, he looked in Operation World, he found the country with the lowest percentage of Christians where he could get a visa, and that's where he went. Uh, I mean, he just set out with, hey, wherever God's name is not known, that's where I want to go, and really he brought that to VOM, too, obviously years later. But he still had that mentality of, I want to go to the front lines. I want to go to the places. I want to make Jesus' name known where it's not known now.
1: Yeah, I still remember spending a couple of days in a house that Mark and his family had built in Bangladesh. To get to this house, you had to really want to get there. <laughs> a couple of ferry rides, a boat ride across a river, walk into a compound, and there's where Mark was established his work and was working as he came to VOM. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit uh, about your job because you've you've mentioned you've stepped into this role in the last year. What's the hardest part of leading the international work for Voice of the Martyrs?
1: Well, I think just the scope of it as much as anything. 68 countries, 53 staff and a myriad of of partners and partner organizations and partner denominations and networks across the world. So, Dealing with those people, 23 nationalities on our staff, living in 22 countries. Wow. Uh, it's, it's an amazing operation to, to kind of try to, to lead, but it's a challenge every day, and I love it. I love it every day.
0: I was just thinking about the time zones. Even to try to talk to those people by phone, you have to figure out, okay, where are they, and what's the difference? In...
1: Yeah, I think most of our staff are used to having phone calls at night and uh, <laughs> working early in the morning.
0: What's the best part of your job?
1: I think the best part of my job, I say this everywhere I go, I truly believe these are the most exciting days to be alive in the history of the church. And I think the great part about my job is God has given me a front row seat to what he's doing in the earth. And I stand amazed every day as I I read email, as I talk to partners about what he is doing uh, among the peoples of the world.
0: What are some of those things? Just share some of, the, some of the things that really excite you about what God is doing.
1: Well, I, I think in the aftermath of ISIS, as we've seen that begin to decline, just the turning to Christ of Muslims across the world. If we live here in the U.S. and we never kind of pay attention to VOM radio or, or publications like that. We're unaware of the fact that thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ every day. We see the same thing happening in India among the Hindus. Hindus turning to Christ day after day, and each morning I read email, and it's uh, someone coming to Christ. Now, in the midst of that, we see terrible persecution, great hardship, but even in those situations, we see the birth of the church, we see the growth of the church. There's nothing more exciting in the world than that. I can't imagine a better job than (laughs) than this.
0: So you don't have trouble getting up in the morning to come to work. No trouble at all. That's that's a good thing. I, I don't either. Let's talk about 2017. And I know, as you mentioned, you're overseeing a huge scope of work in all these different countries. Are there some countries where you see things getting better for the church in terms of religious freedom and in terms of less persecution? Are there some places where you say, oh, it's much better there now than it was three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago?
1: I don't know if I would say it's much better in many of these places. I think we're seeing transitions take place in the Middle East as we, we see kind of the the decline of ISIS. Things seem to to maybe be turning around a little bit there. There's still so much persecution and re- really just so much hardship. Uh, so many refugees. How do they go home? How, what is that even What's look like? What's left at home? Yeah, yeah. We, we can't imagine. <laughs> We look at, like, Nigeria. We've seen a a marked decrease in attacks by Boko Haram since the new president, the Muslim president, was elected. But even in the midst of that, we see a rise of Fulani violence, Uh, Fulani herdsmen persecuting Christians and others across the middle belt of of Nigeria. India continues to be kind of the $64,000 question, right, (laughs) of what's going to happen with Modi. A lot of missionaries being kicked out of the country. So there's a lot of uncertainty as we look at 2017, but a lot of opportunity.
0: Are there some places where you see things getting worse, especially as it regards religious freedom in the church? One that I know comes to my mind is Turkey, just because we've seen the emergency powers that are in place there. There's an American who's being held right now. Do you agree with that? And also, are there some other places that you see that you're like, okay, Things could be getting tougher there.
1: Yeah, everyone's watching Turkey to see what's going to happen in the coming days. A lot of uncertainty. As I said, India, a lot of uncertainty as to where this all turns out. Same with Nigeria now with the rise of Fulani. What is what is that going to look like long term? We're praying it's not a, you know, another Boko Haram. I, I think in China, we continue to watch just to see. I mean, it's such a big country. It's hard to know. There's a lot of, of persecution that's been going on of late. But a lot of opportunity, a lot of Bibles going out, a lot of training being done. So yeah, we're looking with great expectation.
0: When you're doing your work, and I know obviously this is not all you, you have staff that are under you, but when you're looking at a project, and obviously like everywhere else we have a budget, if you're getting towards the end of a budget and you have Project A and Project B, how do you decide, okay, we definitely want to do that one ahead of project? And maybe if we want to do both of them, but how do you determine which one is most vital or most important in any particular year or at any particular time?
1: Well, I think it's important to, to remind us that, you know, we judge our project proposals on the five main purposes of VOM. So it has to align with our purposes. And then when we look at projects, we really look at projects in three categories. One is persecution response. It, responding to direct persecution of, of Christians in the field. And then we look at frontline workers advancing the kingdom, seeing the, the gospel continue to go further. And then the third is Bibles. When, when we look at those categories, if we have Project A and Project B, if Project A is a, a response to persecution, it's helping someone who's suffered for the sake of the kingdom, that wins every time. <laughs> um, Richard Wormbrand said if we had one dollar to spend, we'd spend it on persecution response. So that, that drives those things.
0: Talk about some of the ways that those dollars get spent to help people, like you say, who have directly faced persecution.
1: Yeah, I think a good example would be uh, some, several years ago I went to meet the widow of a pastor in Bangladesh who had been martyred on the way home from a prayer meeting. And as we sat in her home, we were looking for what can we do? How do we help? And what was decided is we we helped her move to another village, uh, still within the network of churches that her husband worked with. So she had friends there. She had accountability. We helped buy two dairy cows so she could sell milk to support herself. And she had a daughter uh, named Joy, and we wanted to ensure that Joy had clothes to wear, food to eat, could go to school. We paid school fees. And so projects like that, every time that we're going to do that, uh, if someone has suffered for the kingdom, we want to be there to to help them and to... Do you
0: remember how much those cows were?
1: They were a couple hundred dollars, I think. But it it gave
0: her a way to support herself.
1: Absolutely. And she's still there today in Bangladesh.
0: That's That's money well spent. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So persecution response is the top of our sort of pyramid. Absolutely. We want to help people who've Absolutely. been persecuted. Then how do you kind of parse things out after that?
1: Once we get to, to frontline workers' projects, you know, those, those can be anything from training events that are being conducted in our, in our fields. It, it can be bicycles and motorbikes. It can be direct support, although rarely. We, we try to avoid that as much as we can, but there are times when what they really need is some immediate help. So we're gonna evaluate those based on the field where they are, how compelling they are. You know, are we training guys who are really going to the frontier to preach the gospel? Or are we training guys who are going to stay in a city and, and just be better pastors? So that's the the thing that works for VOM and in, in evaluating projects is our International Development Committee. So we make these decisions as a committee that's made up of our executives and our four regional directors. So sitting around that table, our decades of mission experience uh, around the world. And what will happen is a regional director will come and he will propose. He'll make a presentation of this project. Here's what it is. Here's who's doing it. Here's the goals of it. Here's what it costs. And then we talk about it. We ask hard questions, really hard questions. And at the end, we vote and we trust in the the wisdom of of many counselors. That's how we, we move forward with those. And we did About 1,600 projects last year. Those are are amazing meetings uh, to be in.
0: Well, and a a project can range. I mean, I think of a dairy cow for a couple hundred bucks up to—
1: Half a million dollars? Half a million.
0: (laughs) That would be a bigger project.
1: Yes. These are uh, big decisions sometimes.
0: Well, and I imagine as it gets down to the end of those meetings and the end of the budget, there is some real hard choices between, yes, we'd like to do this and this. So it does come down to the wisdom of counselors. Then talk a little bit about once you approve those projects, how does that work actually get done? Because your staff is, is good size, but it's not big enough to reach all the persecuted Christians in the world. So how does that work on the ground in a place like India to actually get that money there, get it spent, uh, and all the things to actually deliver the aid to the people who need it? Well, that's the
1: big challenge. That's why we, we depend on partners. We work with both large Western mission organizations, but all, but more importantly, we work with, with literally hundreds and hundreds of indigenous networks. So our regional director, once the approvals come out, will contact those partners and tell them that things are approved and then they begin the process of how do we get the funds there? How do we get reporting back? How do we get receding back? I was with Lawrence Tong, the president of Operation Mobilization a couple of years ago, and he—I'll I'll never forget the statement. He said, "In the next decade, the biggest issue in missions is the movement of funds. <laughs> How do you get money to the field? It's harder than you think."
0: Well, particularly, we're dealing with countries that aren't always friendly with the United States, so their government may not want money to come in, or the U.S. government may not want money to go there.
1: Right. So, so that's a big challenge for our staff. Uh, you know, we only work hostile and restricted access countries, so. So that's a big challenge for us, and there's there's all kinds of ways that we have to to try to do that. But then once the money arrives in the field, we immediately try to get it, get the project rolling, get it going. But the really important thing is when the project's over, we we get back reporting from our partner. We also get back receding. We're in the middle right now of closing out 2016 receding, and it's it's an amazing thing to me having worked in missions for a long time that we on average will receipt about 97 percent of every project that we do so in other words for every dollar we're going to account for 97 cents of it that's a pretty amazing thing that's such a huge task for our staff i'm proud of them every year when we do it
0: i'm thankful for accountants yes uh, i'm not one but i'm thankful for them but that's an important thing for our listeners and for our donors to know, too. We, we take this seriously, the accountability. And and I know, and you know probably more than I do, there have been partners that we have stopped working with because we couldn't get that accountability. We couldn't get that, yes, we know the money got spent the way we instructed it to be spent.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: and sometimes that can be frustrating too. It can be very frustrating because
1: sometimes it's great work, but the partnership just won't, won't work, you know? Yeah. So. Uh,
0: Are there some projects coming up this year that you're particularly excited about or that you think, wow, this is really going to make an impact?
1: Yeah, I think, I think one of the really exciting ones is we've talked about Nigeria earlier and, and the Fulani is a, a project that we're doing to provide audio Bibles in Fulani, in Fulati really, which is the language for these discovery Bible groups. And this is where they will get folks who don't know Christ and they'll bring them together just to listen to the Bible. And, and this is a great reminder for me, I'm often challenged by this, that you know here in, in America, in the West, we, we depend so much on Bible teachers and books and, and yet God still works, as it says in Hebrews 4, His word is living and active, and simply sitting under a tree, listening to the word of God, we're seeing Fulani come to Christ. And so the opportunity to put those audio resources in their hands in the middle belt of Nigeria, what what an incredible privilege it is for us to partner with God in, in seeing that happen. And we see these kind of digital resources happening all over the world. You know, as as your phones get smaller and smaller, well, mine's getting bigger and bigger because I can't see it anymore. (laughs) But being able to put SD cards, micro SD cards, and someone who's never had the word of God to be able to have it on their phone or to have it in a place where it would be very dangerous for them to have a paper and ink Bible, but they can have it on their phone. So we have these kinds of projects happening all over the world. I, I, I think the other thing is the continued response to refugees. You know, as I watch the news, all the stories about the refugees seem to be in Europe. And yet we're continuing to focus on the the refugees who are still in the region, in Lebanon and Jordan, Turkey and northern Iraq, and being able to continue to, to help them just to survive, just to meet needs. I mean, you've had some amazing experiences in, in northern Iraq. So those kind of things, being able to, to just tangibly touch people in the name of Jesus is a, is an amazing Opportunity that he gives us every day here at VOM,
0: and the refugee work is not going away anytime soon.
1: No, because as you said earlier, how do they go home? What is there to go home to? I mean, to? if
0: if ISIS was completely wiped out tomorrow, we'd still have refugee work this whole year and next year and the year after. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is it is yeah. not it's not just a problem of defeating ISIS. It's a problem of okay, like you say, what do these people go home to? What's left for them? Do they even want to go home? Many of them I know don't or don't believe there's any hope at home. So that certainly is work that's going to continue. I think about those audio Bibles, and like you say, not only in Nigeria, but in uh, lots of other countries as well. In many of the places where we work, the literacy rate may be low. So an audio Bible is like a bar of gold to some of these people. Those are very cheap resources. Yeah. That's not a big dollar expense, but no. it's life-changing.
1: Yeah, It's not a big dollar expense, but the the numbers that we're able to do. Uh, I still remember a story that really touched my heart in, in Laos where farmers, illiterate farmers, Christians would talk about listening to the Bible on their phone for eight hours a day. And I thought, <laughs> man, what a great <laughs> discipleship program, right? If you just, yeah. if I just said, hey. How many of
0: us read the Bible for eight hours a yeah, day? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So... Those, those kinds of resources and being able to put something, as you said, that's inexpensive, but that we can do in mass is just an, a really just a cool thing that we see.
0: What are some of the things that you have learned from, from persecuted Christians? And I don't just mean lessons, but I mean, how does Jonathan live his life differently today because he's had these conversations or these encounters or met these people, seen their example? How do you live your faith differently after meeting them? That's a good question. Frankly, I think everyone at VOM ought to answer that question. (laughs)
1: Uh, I I think for me, I mean, practically, it's given me a a greater appreciation of the Word of God. Uh, It's so easy for us just to take for granted that I have a bunch of Bibles, but to see people—I remember being in Burma and and meeting with a pastor and his wife, and what they do for— Kind of entertainment. They memorize the Bible and they they race each other. And he brought a, a gentleman from his church who came and quoted James for me in Burmese. You know the whole book, the whole book, the whole, all five chapters, right? And I was just blown away by that. So I, I think a greater appreciation of of this amazing treasure that we have in the Word of God. I, I think a, a thankfulness for the faithfulness of God. What I've learned over and over and over is no matter what happens, no matter how difficult the situation, God is faithful. And it's easy for me living here in in the comfortable, you know, America to become very complacent with that and think that a lot of what I have and a lot of what I do is because I'm just such a great guy and it's easy to forget that. So it's it's a great reminder for us. And I think the other thing is just being challenged to walk with God day by day. Burma is my favorite country on the planet, so I'll just use another (laughs) Burma story. But I remember an old pastor who asked me if I'd ever been in prison for the gospel, you know. And this was 15 years ago, and I'm like, "Uh, no, I I live in, you know, America. And he said he looked at me with a a smile on his face. He said, "Oh, brother, you don't know Jesus like I know Jesus." There wasn't a, a trace of arrogance or anything. It was a genuine, heartfelt. Brother, I have walked with God in places that you can't imagine, and God was faithful in the midst of that. For us, it's I, I won't walk across the street and talk to my neighbor because he may think I'm weird. You know, he might laugh at me. He might, but you know what? I bet if he laughs, God's still faithful.
0: What do you hope people take out of the examples? Like, like you've talked about how you've been impacted, but you know, we have people who listen to the podcast, or they listen on the radio, or they read the VOM newsletter. How, how do you see it should affect? the American church?
1: I, I think the big thing for me is for them to realize that they're part of a, of a global family. That there's not an American church and a persecuted church, there's just a church. And we are the body of Christ, and these are our brothers and sisters. We may never meet them on this side of, of heaven, but we're part of this family. So they're not people to be pitied, they're people for us to love and to serve and to want to fellowship with. And that's what, what I love about working at VOM is being able to, to help American Christians be in fellowship with their family. So f- for me, that's the big thing. To take away from that, I'm part of something so much bigger than me or my local church or even my country. I'm part of the, the global body
0: of Christ. And that makes a difference every day. Once we grab a hold of that, it totally changes how we live.
1: Every single day.
0: What are some of the ways that we can pray uh, for our international staff this year? I think praying for travel. Our
1: guys, a <laughs> uh, typical guy in our international group will travel 80 to 100 days a year, only in hostile and restricted-access countries. Uh, so that's always a challenge.
0: Yeah. And, and there are some people who are listening who are like, oh, man, that must be awesome. I always tell people international travel is very glamorous until you actually travel internationally, the glamour goes away very quickly.
1: Yeah, there's something about 40 hours of travel to get somewhere that's challenging. Yes. <laughs> so so I think just pray for, for the travel. Pray for their families. It's a lot of time away from their families. I always remind guys when we're looking at staff that this is a sacrifice for your family. This is not just you have to get on a plane. This is a sacrifice for your family. So pray for the families and, and and uh the staff that we have as they travel. And then I think pray for for wisdom as we look at projects, as we meet partners. We're in a lot of meetings with people and we're trying to figure out what is God doing here and help help us be wise and discerning of, of what the Lord is doing and what he would have us do. I, I think those are the big things. The rest of it is is just is just getting on the next plane and going wherever you're going next. <laughs>
0: Um, how much do you have to grapple with your own personal safety as far? I, I mean, how much do our international staff put themselves at risk when they get on these airplanes and go to these places?
1: It's not a question that we talk about a lot in international. It's not I think, something
0: we really want to think about.
1: Well, I think, I think the reality is we want to be wise. We don't want to make silly mistakes and do silly things. But we know that we are called to serve persecuted believers and persecuted believers just so happen to live in difficult places. So part of joining the team and being a part of this team is you travel in those places. Um, So it's not something we talk about a lot. We do pay attention to what's happening uh, in the area that we're going so that we, we don't stumble into something that we could avoid. But we're all willing to pay a price. That's part of being on this team.
0: So I would encourage our listeners, as you are in prayer, please do pray for our international staff as they travel. Pray for wisdom and discernment and pray for their families, because as Jonathan has mentioned, that is a sacrifice. When you talk about sending a husband or wife or dad or mom off uh, across the ocean for 80 or 90 days a year— that's a sacrifice. That's a lot of time. So pray for them. I also want to encourage you. We've talked a couple times about Bibles and Bible distribution today. You can help with that. If you come to vomradio.net, there's a way you can contribute to the Bibles to Captive Nations Fund. All of the money that goes into that fund goes for Bibles. Some of them are printed Bibles, some of them are audio Bibles, some of them are digital Bibles, but all of that money, 100% of it, goes to Bibles into Hostile and Restricted Nations. So if you want to be a part of that, you can contribute and help us to distribute those Bibles. Do we have a number in mind for 2017 as far as Bible distribution? Uh, we will hopefully do at least what we did in 2016, which is about $1.2 million. So 1.2 million Bibles going out, and again, to the hard places, to the places where you can't just tootle down the street to your local Christian bookstore and buy one. So important work. We're talking today with Jonathan. He's the Vice President for International Ministry here at The Voice of the Martyrs. Jonathan, thanks for sharing your heart, and thank you for the work that you're doing to help us reach out and help and come alongside our persecuted family. It's a privilege to serve here, brother. You've been listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As always, you can log on to vomradio.net. You can hear this interview again. You can also share it with your Christian friends so that they'll be encouraged as well. Subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode of VOM Radio. And join us next week. We're going to talk to a brother who is living and working and ministering in Pakistan. And in his particular situation, he's very open about it. So it'll be interesting for you to hear how he's living and working openly in a Muslim context in Pakistan. Join us again next week to hear that right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.